We'll be concluding this series next week on Mother's Day. But today, I want you to go to the book of Mark chapter 12. Our fourth figure that we're going to go over today is the poor widow who gave all that she had. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read verses 41 to 44. And as I've done in the previous three weeks, after reading those, for added context, I'm going to then read the previous verses, a few of the previous verses, so we can see the context in which she did this, so we can pay proper respect to her story. And I believe why Jesus was so moved by what she did. Verse 41, and he, being Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow, say poor widow. She's not just a widow, she's a poor one. Right? And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which makes a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. <clears throat> Now let's go, let's, let's uh, scroll back to verse 38. And I'm going to, I'm going to spend a little time on these three verses before we get back to the widow and pay her the honor that she deserves. Jesus is teaching here. He's teaching his disciples He's going through a litany of things that's important for them to understand if they are to walk in faithful obedience after him. And in verse 38, his teaching begins to focus on the scribes. And he says in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes. That's a striking statement. Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes. I mean, the scribes were entrusted with preserving and promoting and teaching the word of God. And yet, Jesus is having to tell his followers, beware of them. It's a striking statement. That's the context in which this widow's story happens. Let's, keep, let's go on. Beware of the scribes. And then he begins to go into more detail about why you should beware of them, who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Some of this stuff doesn't seem so bad. I mean, who doesn't like to wear a nice robe? 
But it's not about their clothing choices that, 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 that Jesus is commenting on. I mean, remember, these are Bible scholars. These were, the, these were the Bible scholars of Jesus' day. First, let's look at they like to walk around in long robes. You know, these weren't men that, you know, long robes, those, those are leisure garments. If there was work to be done, these guys weren't going to do it. The work was beneath them. They, just, they liked the robe. They liked the splendor of it. They liked looking and feeling better than everybody else. They liked the position that they held. Let's go on. They liked greetings in the marketplace. Now, I like to be greeted as much as the next guy, but again, it's not just a simple act of greeting that they're talking that, that the Lord is talking about here. These guys loved and craved the recognition. That came with their position. As a matter of fact, I would dare say they demanded the recognition. Woe to you if you didn't recognize and greet them. I'm not going to make this about them, but I just want to say enough for you to get a picture of the context in which this widow story occurs. You know, woe be it to us if we, I know we're Americans and we're used to having our way and everything and there's a certain, there's an American way. But I tell you what, there is a Christ way that, that we need to bring our American way in subject to. Right? And we like to demand our rights. We like to demand what's ours. I deserve my recognition. Give me what's mine. And we get too caught up into that mindset. We're not walking in meekness and humility that allows us to represent Christ well in the world that he's called us to reach. Right? Because what if God wants to put you in a situation that's very humbling? That for a season puts you down below a certain station that you would prefer to walk in because he wants you to encounter someone that he's prepared you to lift up. That he's prepared you to let your light so shine before them so that they can see the Christ in you, the hope of glory, and be inspired to come to faith in Christ themselves. Are we going to behold so tightly to our rights, or are we willing to yield it to the Lord so that he might use us to bless someone else? That they might themselves taste and see that the Lord is good. See, that's why he's saying beware. There is an attitude about them that you don't need to embrace. There's an air about them that is contrary to how the Lord wants to work in your life, and 
it will hinder you being able to make yourself available to God so that God might use you. Are you hearing that today? Sure, we have rights, and it's not, it's, not, it's not a sin to want justice. It's not a sin to stand up for what's right and just. But we've got to get to a point to where we're willing to lay down our rights for the cause of Christ if necessary. Paul and Silas, you've heard me talk of their story many times. They had a right not to be railroaded into jail. And they could have wallowed in their pity and anger and frustration and been angry at God and everybody else. But the Bible says around midnight, they started worshiping the Lord and giving glory to him. You see, they're standing in a jail, a place they didn't deserve to be. They're not criminals, yet they're jailed like criminals. And what did they do in that moment? They didn't hold on to their rights and stay in an attitude that God couldn't do anything with. They humbled themselves and made themselves available to God. And they recognized that God is still God regardless of the circumstance. And that God is still worthy of our adoration, our praise, and our worship regardless of the circumstance. And so they just, they, they honored him. They, 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 they praised his name and, and, and they sang praises unto him and the jailer and the prisoners heard it. And because they did that, when the place shook and all the doors opened, not a person left. I believe because everyone there recognized, I don't know who that God is they sang to and prayed to, but it seems obvious to me that that God just did this and I'm not going anywhere. I'm here for the long haul. I want to see how this thing ends. Now, you see, that, that, that's what I want, right? That's what I, that's what I believe God wants us to be, that, you know what? I'm not moved by these circumstances. God is still God in these circumstances. And although I may be hemmed in, I might be shackled, I may be inside bars right now, but that does not limit God's ability to deliver, set free, and save. Amen? So, God, I'm in here. Can you use me here? Use me however you can. These men didn't have that attitude. They had the opposite. Uh, it says also they loved having the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, showing to me that they demanded the perks of status and privilege that came along with what they believed came along with their position. See, they're about status, perks, privilege. They expected and wanted and demanded those things. They weren't there laying down their lives so that God could be lifted up just to be vessels of honor to bless the Lord. They wanted people to think that, but that was not their attitude, the attitude of their heart. There's another scripture, I wish I could remember the specific reference, but Jesus says, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. It is possible to honor God with what comes out of your mouth, and yet your heart does not match what's coming out of your mouth.
These guys represented that. Jesus is like, beware of that. Let what comes out of your mouth be the outflow of what's genuinely in your heart. Because God judges the heart. Amen? You may not have a whole lot to give God, but it will suffice for God if the thing you give him is your heart. The most precious thing you could give him is your heart. Give him your heart and everything else falls into place. Amen? All right, and not only, now we get to where we're about to transition back into the widow, the poor widow. They did something else. It says they devoured widows' houses. Mm. This tells me that they sinned against the weak and vulnerable. See, they weren't supposed to get paid for their ministerial services. But they, it seems like they came up with a loophole, a way around the whole payment issue. They couldn't get paid, but they could accept gifts. And somehow, some way, they were convinced. I'm forget. I'm not playing around. They would swindle widows, poor widows, into gifting their houses, their most precious possessions, to them for the for the ministry service that they provide. It's an interesting choice of word. They devour widows' houses. Now, we're talking about men of God here, positionally, status-wise. And it takes a special level of cold-heartedness to convince Someone on fixed income, if they're getting any income at all, to convince them to gift the roof over their head to you, knowing good and well that they have no other means of survival, nowhere else to go. You're going to just let them be someone else's problem to pick up the pieces. And yet these are biblical scholars. And there's one other thing. It says, and they made long prayers for pretense. Don't gloss by that either. Don't just gloss over that. A pretense is defined as an action or a way of behaving 
that is intended to make people believe something that is not true. So they're making uh, these long prayers in, so that people can observe them for pretense. They wanted people to believe something about them that was not true. So they made really long prayers, I believe, to give the impression that they were only concerned with doing God's work. But that wasn't true. You see, the law did not allow them to get paid, as I said earlier, for their ministerial service. But they could receive gifts. The scribes took advantage of the gifts loophole, somehow convincing poor, vulnerable widows to give their houses to the scribes, not as payment, but as gifts. The long prayers were a distraction from the fact that they were swindling widows out of their most valuable possessions. And I got to thinking, I, I came to the conclusion that I would not be surprised if the widow we're talking about today who gave her last two copper coins had been swindled out of her house by the scribes. Maybe that's why those two copper coins was all she had left to live on. Maybe that's part of the reason why the Lord was so moved by her offering. Because if she had been so swindled and she has no house, this is all she's got to her name If in the background she's been swindled out of something of value by people, by men claiming to be representatives of God, it would be understandable if she were sort of bit jaded and thought the last place I'm going to take my last two copper coins is to the offering box where these charlatans can use it for whatever ungodly means that they might use it for. But she didn't do that. And I want to give her credit and honor for not doing that. Like I said, it would have been understandable. It wouldn't have been the God-honoring thing to do. But it would have been understandable if she decided not to give her very last coins into the offering box. During the time, uh, well, let's go back to verse 41. And we'll read her story again and we'll bring it to a conclusion. So in that context, I think it's very noteworthy that he starts this teaching about the poor widow with her copper coins right after talking about, warning about these scribes and what they had been doing to people including widows and here we have one of those widows and so he sat down 
opposite the treasury and watch the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. First of all, I'm going to tell you what this does not say here. In, in, uh, in verse 41, he observed many rich people put in large sums. Now, he said she put in more than them, but sometimes people use this to say that he is judging the people who are putting in the large sums or that it is somehow not an honor to God if you are giving out of your abundance. If you're giving out of your abundance in honor of God and obedience to God, that is noteworthy and that deserves recognition and credit as well. It wasn't a negative thing that they were doing because they didn't give everything. But he just wanted, you know, I don't want to pull down the wealthy people who were giving because to pull them down is to pull down her. I don't think we got to pull them down to elevate her. He's observing. There are many people that are giving out of their abundance. But the one that moved the heart of Jesus was the one who gave out of her poverty. So let's not make this story about the people that it's not about. <laughs> let's focus on the one that Jesus decided to elevate. Um, if you've got means, don't feel judged or don't feel like you need to self-condemn if you're not given everything that you're on. What I will tell you is that obey God in all that you do. If God, if God confronts you like he did the rich young ruler whose identity and self-worth and, and uh, you know, the significance to money in his heart was a hindrance to him walking in faith with the Lord, then if God says you need to give it all up, if you need to come and walk with me, then you obey God there. If God is pleased with you giving the tithe and whatever offerings he moves you to give above the tithe, you obey God there. So obey God in every area of life, including your finances. This is not a teaching that we should be making some huge doctrine out of, <laughs> right, as it pertains to what we should do with our money. What, what we're uh, focused on are the actions of this poor widow and what Jesus highlights about her actions. So, many rich people put in large sums, but this woman. So, two copper coins. During the time in which this takes place, the wage for a day of work was a denarius. Those copper coins that she put into the offering box 
was worth about 1% of a denarius, 1% of a day's wage. Pretty small. That would be like someone, you know, throwing a couple of pennies into the offering box today. You know, if Ellen opens up the offering box on Monday and sees a couple of pennies, she's not going to text me all excited about that offering. If she did, if she did, well, God bless her. I wouldn't be excited about that offering. You know, when you look at it monetarily, there's not much there. It's a drop in the, it's a drop of water in the ocean. But Jesus, his response and his teaching to his disciples tells me one thing. When it comes to giving, Jesus is not as concerned about the amount given as he is the heart. from which the giving came. He didn't care that it was just two mites. But he did care that this was the last two mites or copper coin. My translation says copper coins. Yours might say mites. It might, another one might say quadrants. Uh, it's just a tiny amount of money. He went so far as to say this woman contributed more than not any one individual, but everyone else combined. Now think about that. There's a lot of rich people giving out of their abundance. Everyone brought in, and who knows how much money ended up in the treasury. But what she did here, Jesus says she gave more than all of them. And then he tells us why. They gave out of their abundance. It's not a bad thing. Again, we shouldn't be kicking people who do that. If you got abundance, it belongs to the Lord. You're honoring God with it. You're giving out of that. But to make a distinction about her, they gave out of their abundance. She, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. Now, I knew, I've known poverty. I grew up in poverty. And oftentimes, we look at situations like that. We look at lack. We look at what we don't have, our lack of education sometimes, our lack of opportunities, our lack of resources, our lack of finances, and and, and we decide that based on our lack of things that we can't do. She could have come to that conclusion. I only have this to live on. Therefore, I can't 
contribute to the offering box. I can't give unto the Lord. But she gave out of her poverty. I don't know if this is talking about money, but but I want to make a, a bit of a larger point. Because oftentimes we are victims of a poverty mentality. And we are ultra-focused on what we don't have available to us and why we can't, because of that, we can't do even what God is calling us to do. You know, for me, there are times in my life where I felt either powerless or, or empty I didn't really feel God's presence working in my life like I wanted him to and, and uh, didn't feel like I had anything of significance or anything of value to offer someone. That's the state of mind that I was in. And yet somehow those times, those moments were some of the moments that God used me the greatest. It's unbelievable. I didn't think there was anything in me that could bless someone. And yet God pulled me into a situation that almost forced me to serve. And even though my heart wasn't, it wasn't giddy, I wasn't full of faith, wasn't operating in all, with all joy and all this and that and the other, God still somehow used this vessel and used my stinking thinking you know, despite my stinking thinking, he still used me to bless someone. And, and, it, and it, it led to people coming to me in those moments and telling me how much they were blessed, how much God used me to bless them. And that helped me get out of my own head. And it began, it, 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 it changed my mindset and began to let me I don't know, it just correct the, 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 it corrected those bad thoughts and got me back into truth and got me focused on who Jesus is, who I am in him, and reminded me how important it is to just fully rely on God. Not to get lost If truth be told, those moments where I was feeling a bit empty and unfulfilled and, and so forth, I had begun to look at myself and uh, as I grew and got more comfortable in, in ministering and serving the people, I, I, I got a little bit of too much confidence in my abilities and what I could do. I lost perspective. I wasn't abiding in him. I started to lose my way a bit. And there was no satisfaction in that. And it was the goodness of God to put me in a situation. He knew that I'm there by my own doing, by my own bad thinking, by my own attitude. And he put me in a situation when I'm thinking that there is nothing I have to offer 
and yet he uses me to bless the socks off of for someone. That was the, the reminder. That was the shaking that I needed to put everything back in perspective again. You know, I'm a vessel. It is God that does the work. I can plant a seed. I can water a seed, but it is him that gives the increase. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. It doesn't matter how well you speak. It doesn't matter how personable or how friendly you are. Yes, you want to be those things, but what matters is you're taking your gifts and you are, you are, you've committed that you are giving those gifts to God for God to use for his glory. God, I'm going to use the giftings that you gave me. I'm going to obey you in it. I'm going to go as you direct me to go. And my only prayer is that you get the glory out of it. When we lose perspective and start looking at uh, how good we are at certain things, we're setting ourselves up for failure and disappointment. And we're setting ourselves up to not be very good very representatives of the God that we serve. Amen? So this widow, with her two copper coins, she's got her livelihood in her hands. And just for a second, I want you to consider the choice she would have made if she couldn't see past those copper coins, if she put her trust in her money, do you think she parts with those copper coins? If she thinks those copper coins are the source of any potential next meal or her being able to survive the next day or so, do you think she's parting with those copper coins? No, she's not parting with them. So even if she's been swindled out of her house, even if she's been swindled out of her resources and she has no money, we know she has no money beyond these two copper coins, it's a testament to her that she says, you know what? I'm going to give God what I have. Yeah, I'm in poverty. But instead of wallowing in it, I'm going to give God what I have while I'm sitting here in poverty. And I want you to let that be an encouragement to you. You may be sitting in squalor. You may be sitting in lack. You may be sitting in a position today that you'd rather not be in. And you don't feel like you have very much to offer you whatever little you do have. I challenge you to give that to God. And I'm not just talking about money. Maybe it's relationally for you. Maybe it has to do with the heart attitude for you. Maybe you've got to forgive somebody. Or maybe you've got to love somebody that's hard to love. Whatever it is, 
Let us follow the example of the widow. Those two copper coins were a major sacrifice on her part. That's what Jesus meant by what he said. She gave out of her poverty. They were, she sacrificed unto the Lord. She didn't have a lot, but she sacrificed unto the Lord what she could. And Jesus sitting over there watching tells me that whatever you sacrifice, Jesus saw her sacrifice. Whatever you sacrifice, he sees yours too. I don't know. I wish the Bible had further chronicled her story. I'd love to know how things developed and how she fared in the following days and weeks and months and years and what have you. Uh, Unfortunately, we don't get to know that this side of glory and that may be one of those questions we ask when we're with the Lord one day. But that is the, the, I guess one of the primary lessons that I want us to get from this is that God sees your sacrifice. You may not have as much to give as you wanted to, but give God what you have. It may not be recognized, like I said, if, if, if Ellen were to see a couple of copper coins and then I don't do this just to mess with us but if but if <laughs> but if Ellen sees a couple of copper coins and she takes a picture of it and texts me and you know I may not get excited about that I can pretty much guarantee you that the scribes the people at the treasury didn't get excited about her contribution. People might not be excited about the little you have to offer. But it's not really the people's excitement that matters. What matters is what the Lord feels about your contribution. What matters is that the Lord recognizes it. What matters is that the Lord is pleased with it. There were a whole bunch of people putting a whole bunch of money into that treasury, but there was only one that got the attention of Jesus. Only one example, only one served as an example for Jesus to teach his disciples on. And that was a poor widow who monetarily gave very little, but what she gave and the reason she gave it spoke volumes to Jesus. And he said she gave all, she gave more than everyone else combined. 
So that tells me you don't have to give a whole lot for it to mean a whole lot. Right? What's little in your hand can be made it can be made into a lot by God. Um, I want to uh, uh, finish in 2 Corinthians 8. Um, I spent a little longer time than I wanted to there, but, but we still have time to do it. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 10, and 12, 10, 11, and 12 say this. Paul says, and in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So don't stress and obsess over what you don't have. Give God out of what you do have. Notice what it says, if the readiness is there. Is there a heart to bless God? Is there a heart to obey God? Is there a heart to honor God in these things? Do you want to please God? And so... In the desire to please them, if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. So consider what you have in the Lord. Don't let what you don't have discourage you and get you into doubt, fear, and unbelief because what you have, God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. Who would have thought that when there were 5,000 men plus women and children that needed to be fed, that the, that, the, that the two fishes and the five loaves could somehow feed the entire crowd. See, they didn't have enough money to buy them food, so if they looked at it from a practical monetary standpoint, and focus on what they didn't have, then they'd have done nothing. But somebody, a young man, a boy, presented, hey, I, I, here's what I do have. And that little offering, God, Jesus turned that little offering into not only enough to feed the crowd, but enough to have 12 basketfuls left over. See, give God what you have. You'd be amazed at what God can do with it. It takes faith to go there, doesn't it? It takes a willingness to trust God <laughs> at a level that's not comfortable <laughs> when you think about it. But we've got to be willing to go there with God. And the final verse that I will uh, share, I wanted to share verses 10 to 12 of uh, 2 Corinthians 8 first 
And then say the preceding verse, verse 9, last. Because I want you to leave here with the example of Christ on your mind. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So the Lord Jesus gave out of his poverty. You know what? Our salvation comes out of his poverty. He possessed all things, but he became as one of us. In, In finding himself in the likeness of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He became poor for our sake. And out of his poverty, He has enriched us. And I would say that the poor widow, we don't even know her name. We just know her as poor widow. She was emulating that same heart of Jesus out of her poverty she gave you have the ability to give out of whatever of life you've experienced poverty in monetarily or whatever else don't look at what you don't have be like the boy with the fishes and loaves and focus on what you do have and give that to Jesus make it available make yourself available to the Lord Maybe you're not as pretty or handsome as the next person. Maybe you're not as tall as the next next person. Maybe you don't have the singing voice. And maybe there's other things you don't have. But you know what? If you continue to look at it from that perspective, you're going to be a miserable individual. Right? At some point, you've got to stop comparing yourself to others and realize the truth is that you are fearfully and wonderful, wonderfully made by the Lord. And your uniqueness makes, makes you special. You have giftings and abilities that others don't have. You have influences and an ability to reach people that other people don't. And if you'll focus on what you do have, what God has given you, and make yourself available to God for him to, to guide you in it, there is no limit to what you can do. And I believe that the Lord wants to, wants to highlight you to others like he highlighted the widow in our passage today.
Don't be afraid to sacrifice. Don't minimize anything that you have because God can do amazing things in you and through you. Don't be afraid to give God something because you think it's insignificant. Don't be afraid to give God something because you think it's too small of an offering. Give God what you have. And he'll do something amazing. I'm going to ask you all to, to stand. If you will do that, if you will give God what you have, if you will make that sacrifice, he sees that sacrifice. And he will use it to bless others. Hallelujah. Father God, I just lift up your wonderful people, your sons and daughters, Father God. Lord, we all find ourselves feeling inadequate at times. Feeling under-resourced. Feeling like we just have an overall lack of everything or something that is critically important and necessary in order for us to do what needs to get done. And Father, I just pray that you would help us overcome that, that mindset, that poverty mindset that says, I can't because. I've got to desperately hold on and clench my fist of these copper coins because there's no way that they would be any significance to anyone else and, and, and I don't know where my next copper coin is going to come. So, so I wish I could, but I can't give you this, Lord. I don't think what I have will make much difference anyway. Oh, Father God, I pray that you would heal us of that bad thinking. Forgive us, oh God, for not demonstrating faith and trust in you. Forgive us, Father God, for putting our reliance in resources instead of in the source. If we learn nothing else from the poor widow today, Lord, let us, let us embrace her sacrifice in faith because she resolved that it doesn't matter how much money she holds in her hand, she knew who her source was. And she said God is her provider whether she holds on to these two copper coins or not. So she gave to the God of her salvation. She gave to God her provider. All that she had. 
showing that she was all in. Say, God, my, my life is in your hands. If I'm going to be provided for, you're the one that's going to make it happen. If I'm going to survive, it's going to be because of how you're working in my life and you making provision for me. So I'm not going to treat these two copper coins as though they're you. Because they're not. You alone are God. And I will give my offering to you. Though it be my last copper coins, I will give my offering to you. Though I feel empty inside, I will give my offering to you. Though I'm struggling with anxiety and worry, I will give my offering of you. Though I feel like I have been mistreated, I feel like I've been harmed, these scribes have swindled me out of my home and, and, and all of my retirement and all I'm left with is these copper coins. I'm not going to let my emotions, I'm not going to let any judgment I may have against them prevent me from fully relying on and trusting you. And Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts so we can come to that same place as this precious widow that we might have the impact that she has had and even greater. This we ask in Jesus' name.